0: Good morning. Happy New Year. Um, all right, so today we're going to talk about Epiphany, which was yesterday, um, and also the Magi and a bit about the moon. Um, but before we begin, I have a little, like a prelude to the sermon, a little bit that I just wanted to say first. So I have this theological belief that I picked up as a child that God's good realm. Is already here with us on earth, that it's like hidden among us in our midst and dwelling in the love that exists between us. Now I think that this good realm is hard to see because of the suffering in our world and I grapple with the suffering in our world. Um, I have an awareness of harm, there's oppression and inequality, war and violence, it's happening now. And I think maybe because of this, I also keep my unshakable childlike hope that one day all the harms and hatreds of our world will set completely, just like the sun sets fully and completely when her day is done. And I wonder if the good realm can be likened to the moon. So the moon dwells both during the day and in the night. But during the day, she's so hard to see next to the bright blindingness of the sun. She's hard to see. So maybe the coming of good, God's good realm can be likened to the moon that after a time of complete darkness, she like bursts forth with light in the night sky and can be, um, with time becomes more full and more fully seen. So that's kind of idealistic, but... Um, I do believe that God's good realm is already here and also more fully coming soon. It's a little prelude to the sermon. All right, so today is going to be a two-parter. First, we're going to explore Epiphany and the story of the Magi. And then we're going to look up to the night sky for meaning, just like the Magi once did. So on the one hand, we have this physical and historic event, the birth of a child of Jesus. And on the other hand, we have this birth being infused with symbolism and meaning and discovery. And so we're going to do a little dance between the world as it is and the world as we hope it will be. So with one leg, and I'm getting a little poetic here, but with one leg on like the earthy soil of tradition and history, we're going to take a leap into the heavens and look to the night sky and think about what can we learn from the moon. So a little history, a little grounding. Yesterday, the church celebrated epiphany. Now in English, the word epiphany means an illuminating discovery. It kind of makes me think of um, a person who's like deep in study, uh, maybe like a scientist or a PhD student. I think Christians here somewhere are PhD student, mulling over their data, right? And then they get this like, Light bulb moment, aha moment, and you know, like the light bulb like pops on over their head. It's an illuminating discovery. Well, in Greek, the word epiphany, that's the origin of the word, it actually means manifestation or appearance. So it has more of a physical feel to this idea of like, ooh, an aha moment. Now, on the day of Epiphany, the church celebrates the story of the Magi from the East. The Magi had this illuminating discovery. They saw the star over Bethlehem, over Jesus' manger, and they brought Jesus their precious gifts. So this story is celebrated as like a symbol of the moment when Jesus was revealed or manifested to the world. So it's like an aha moment, but it's also a physical or uh, appearance, a manifestation. So the earliest evidence of this festival was in the second or early third century as a feast day. And it was celebrated by um, a minority group of Christians who were living in Alexandria, Egypt. So at the time, um, Alexandria was under Roman rule. Now for some context, this was about 100 years before the Emperor Constantine converted the Roman Empire to Christianity. So they were experiencing some um, persecution at the time. Early on, the Magi were celebrated as three kings. Now, I think it's interesting because the text of Matthew never actually says that there were three of them, and it doesn't even say that they were kings. But they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are precious gifts, and that's probably where we get our tradition. So magi, it simply means astrologer. This is someone who discerns meaning from the night sky. And I think today astrology has some... um, I don't know, people are a little judgy of astrology in some ways. It also can be very fascinating. But at the time, um, astronomy and astrology, the study of the stars, there was really no difference between astrology and astronomy. So I like to consider them as scientists who studied the stars. They had this illuminating discovery based on their research, observation, and findings, and it led them to Bethlehem. So Jesus was born in the land of Judea, which is today Israel and Palestine. Now the text of Matthew says that they came to Jerusalem from the east, and scholars believe that this likely meant they came from Persia, which is modern-day Iran. They found baby Jesus in Bethlehem, which is about five and a half miles south of Jerusalem, today in the West Bank, and there's a border wall there separating the land. So these places and these locations, they might bring up um, a painful awareness or a grappling of some of the struggle and suffering that we see continuing to this very day in our very own times. Um, You might have also noticed that our nativity scenes often depict one of the kings as being um, black. And this practice, I, I had to look it up, it began as early as the 13th century in European art. And this was among white and European Christians. So as you can imagine, um, this has a fraught history of like, tokenism and also inclusion and representation. Um, I have a, a feminist poet uh, activist who I often like to talk about, Audre Lorde. I always quote her. She's the best. She's queer, black feminist. Anyway, she said, tokenism is not an invitation to join power. She said, for us, increasingly violence weaves through the daily tissues of our living. So you can hear in our own times how, these, how the, the violence and oppression, they enjoy success and power in our world as it did then, as it does now. And similarly, when Jesus was born, the violence of Rome, it was brutally occupying the Jewish people in that land along with many other nations on earth. So innocent people at the time were being crucified by the thousands, up to 500 a day under Roman rule. In Jerusalem, there was this client king of Rome. He held power, King Herod. And he would do like anything to keep his position and power. He was pretty ruthless, so these magi, these three kings perhaps, came to Herod and they said, we're looking for the newborn ruler, the new king who's going to replace you and, 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 ta- and, and be the ruler of this new era on earth. And you can kind of imagine how Herod might have felt. It says he was terrified and he took violent action in response. But in contrast, when the magi discovered this baby and he was poor, And he was in the arms of his mother, young mother, Mary, and adoptive father, Joseph. They were a humble family in a barn, in a manger. There was no room for them in town. It says that the Magi were overwhelmed with joy. This was their epiphany moment, the manifestation appearance of a new and different kind of ruler. And he became a rabbi, a teacher, not a politician, not a violent ruler. And he was and warned in a dream not to return to King Herod. These interpreters of the stars and dreamers of dreams, they decided to go home another way. Now, I think it's interesting that this historic event, it was someone or something new in the world. It brought great fear and terror to some and joy, overwhelming joy for others. I think on the flip side, though, when Jesus was crucified, this is like the status quo of violence in our world, Pontius Pilate, King Herod, they, the crowd, they like mocked him and celebrated in the violence being done. And the people who loved him mourned and wept. I think sometimes the same events, the same historical events can bring about different reactions depending on our human perspectives and our particular places in the world, One reason why I love the story of the Magi is that they were religious and ethnic outsiders. They were wise and foreign rulers, science-oriented people who discovered in their historic moment the hope of something new in the land. And this was a movement from what was and what is to the hope or revelation of what will be. And they brought their gifts from their own tradition to share. And I love that. I think every nation on earth has gifts To share. So that's a bit about Epiphany and the Magi. So now with that a nod to my little prelude, um, we're going to shift from like history and storytelling in this new direction. Just like the Magi once did, we're going to look up to the night sky, to the heavens for an epiphany of God's of the coming of God's good realm. And we're gonna do this by exploring what can we learn from the moon. So what can we learn from the moon? Well, she is small compared to the sun and humble. She reflects a light not of her own. According to one teaching in the book of Genesis, the moon was a great luminary created in equal likeness to the sun, but she diminished herself and became small. These are poetic readings of our physical universe. In compensation for this, God let her rule both during the day and in the night. The prophet Isaiah had a vision of a time to come when the light of the moon shall be become like the light of the sun. The moon is also likened to those who are poor. So the sun, she gives freely of her light to the moon, and she's not diminished in any way. And in just the same way, we are to give freely of our wealth to those who are in need, and we're not diminished in any way. The rabbis have this interesting teaching about the sun and the moon. They said that twin brothers in the book of Genesis, Jacob and Esau, are identified with the moon and the sun. So Esau is the older brother. And I think he represents our desire for violence. He wanted to murder his brother Jacob. And I think he represents our desire for peace. This is in one family. It could even be in one heart. The rabbis say that, um, that God originally intended for Jacob to have the sun as his guide, but Esau, as the older brother, got the sun, and so Jacob took the moon. Now, naturally, the bigger brother gets the sun, and they compared Esau to Rome, who based their calendar on the sun. Interestingly, the smaller brother, like we said, naturally gets the moon, and the Jewish people base their calendar on the moon, and so do Muslims and other peoples in the world. But the rabbis found a hidden message of hope for those who are weary of Esau's violence and oppressive power in this world. They said the sun is bigger, but it sets completely at night. The moon, on the other hand, can be seen both during the day and in the night. The violence of Esau sees success in this world, which is likened to the day, but has nothing in the world to come which is likened to the nighttime. It's something that we we can't fully see, not quite yet. Now, I I like, oh, and then I think, I don't know if I said this part, but Jacob um, has a portion in this world and in the world to come. So as you can probably guess, I like this reading of the moon. I believe that God's good realm is already here and also more fully coming soon. But this is a world with no place for violence or hate. Now, importantly, I think that this, uh, sometimes when we think of like the world to come or the future, um, it's it's this idealistic vision and we kind of imagine that the violent offender will be destroyed or eliminated. But in the story of Jacob and Esau, they actually reconcile. So they lean into each other, they embrace, they have um, this reconciliation moment and Jacob has an epiphany In the face of his once murderous brother, it says that Jacob sees the face of God. He tells Esau in Genesis 33.10, Truly, to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Now can you imagine seeing in the face of your enemy, who is your brother or your neighbor who once hated you, the face of God. This is a challenge to us, and it's also a blessing and a radical transformation of enmity into love. Let your neighbor be like the sun as you reflect their light, much like the moon. Now, Jesus also taught us, love your neighbor, love your enemy. And in the book of Revelation, John of Patmos had an epiphany that Jesus is likened to the moon. So, John says, the holy city, a new Jerusalem, has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. He says, the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So, here the Lamb as a lamp is likened to the moon. And this Lamb, this lamp, becomes our God as one who humbled himself to reflect the divine light dwelling in the perishable human frame, vulnerable to death, even to death. And I believe that this is an affirmation of the divine light dwelling in the least of these among us, especially because we don't often see that, and also in your human frame and in mine. So from within our own tradition, Jesus is likened to the moon who reflects the light of God. So what can we learn from the moon? Well, she's likened to many things. The moon is likened to the poor whom we give generously of our wealth and are not diminished in any way. The magi gave generously of their wealth to a poor family. The moon is likened to the world to come when violence will no longer have power and where hatred is transformed into familial love. The moon is also likened to Jesus, the lamp of God, who shines like a light in our perishable human frame. And I wonder if the stargazers from the east saw some of this in the night sky as well. From within their own turbulent times, I wonder if the Magi also discovered that God's good realm had come and is already here with us in our midst and is also more fully coming soon. Maybe this revelation, this epiphany, is one reason why they brought their gifts with such joy to the newly born baby, Jesus in Bethlehem, on that sacred and holy night. All right, so after the sermon, we often do a time of meditation. Um, and uh, I, I, um, it's a, this sermon today is a little more poetic or idealistic, perhaps. It's a little heady, maybe. But, um, but I, I, so I think in that vein, I'm going to read a poem. Because it's all kind of poetic anyway. Um, and this poem I found is by a rabbi from Ukraine, the Lubavitcher Reb, and he was born in 1902. Um, and I think that uh, one reason why I, I, I thought this was striking is because Ukraine is another region that's suffering right now. So let's listen to the poem and then we'll settle in for a few moments of quiet meditation, remembering that babies, children, and adults make noise. What can we learn from the cycle of the moon as she ever waxes and wanes and waxes again? That a time of smallness is a time to become great, and a time of greatness is a time to become small. For in smallness lies the power to receive, and in receiving lies the power to become great. And greatness endures only through its power to be small.